I'm Dr. Monica Holbert. Um, I'm the director of the Pediatric Sickle Cell Disease Program at Washington University and St. Louis Children's Hospital, and I'm a mom doc. Hey, this is Mom Docs, the podcast from St. Louis Children's Hospital, and today we're talking about sickle cell disease. Dr. Holbert, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. For the listeners, what is sickle cell disease? We've heard of sickle cell anemia. We've heard the word sickle cell before, but we really don't know what that is. Sure. Sickle cell disease is a a blood disorder in which uh, the red blood cells or the cells that carry oxygen around to our bodies uh, can develop an abnormal shape. Um, The blood cells are supposed to be round and kind of like a donut. And in people who have sickle cell disease, uh, the blood cells can turn into a sickle or C shape, and those cells then can get clogged up inside of the blood vessels and block oxygen from reaching different parts of the body. Then what's the difference between sickle cell trait and sickle cell disease? That's a great question. People with sickle cell disease got two copies of the sickle cell trait, one from each parent. Um, and um, this means that their body cannot make any normal hemoglobin, um, only sickle hemoglobin, and hemoglobin is what is inside of the red blood cells. People who have sickle cell trait um, have one copy of the sickle cell gene, but they also have a normal copy of that same gene for hemoglobin, and so their blood cells can stay pretty normal. Um, So the difference between sickle cell trait and sickle cell disease is that people who have sickle cell trait usually don't have any symptoms or very rarely can have some symptoms. And people with sickle cell disease can have a pretty serious medical condition where they have anemia or low red blood cells. They um, can have very painful episodes when the blood flow gets blocked, either to their bones, excuse me, or uh, to other parts of their body. And they can even have really serious complications like strokes and kidney failure. Thank you for that clarification. Dr. Halbert, we've heard that this is very prevalent in the African-American population. Why is that? That's another great question. So let me first state that while sickle cell disease is most common in African-Americans in North America, it can happen in any racial or ethnic group. So it can happen, there's a, you know, depending on what part of the country you live in, you may see a a larger proportion of uh, Latino patients that have sickle cell disease. Um, And um, even uh, people uh, who are white can have sickle cell disease as well. The reason why it's more common in certain groups than others is because having sickle cell trait or that one abnormal gene copy helps protect a person from dying of malaria. So in parts of the world where malaria either used to be or still is very prevalent, um, you would be more likely to survive your childhood and go on to have more children if you yourself had sickle cell trait. So that's what's called selection, um, in which um, having that trait makes you more likely to survive and reproduce. So um, so since malaria is very prevalent in Africa and in South America and Central America and the Caribbean 
and even in parts of Europe by the Mediterranean. Um, that's why um, sickle cell disease ha- is more common in those places. When do you know that someone carries the trait or actually has sickle cell disease? Is this something that is tested in utero or when the baby is born? Do you already know if both parents carry the trait? How is this determined? So in the United States, uh, currently every baby born in the U.S. um, has a test uh, called newborn screening. And the newborn screening test identifies people who have both sickle cell disease and sickle cell trait. Now, what happens with that test result depends on, um, you know, what the result is. So patients or babies, rather, who have sickle cell disease identified on their newborn screen are immediately flagged for follow-up. They get referred direct, you know, in many states, including Missouri, directly to a sickle cell center. And... um, Uh, and then uh, the pa- the child will go on to have more testing to confirm the diagnosis and begin treatment. Um, for um, sickle cell trait, the follow-up is not quite as um, standardized. And so um, while that test result would be detected, it sometimes doesn't make it back to the family. Um, but everybody, every family should know that their child has been screened for these traits at birth. And by tracking down a copy of their of their newborn screen or talking with their primary care doctor, <clears throat> um, they can uh, learn their results that way. And of course, there are tests that can be done on older children to uh, determine whether ha- they have sickle cell trait or not as well. So tell us what it's like for a child with sickle cell disease. What are the symptoms that they experience and what treatment options are available? So children with sickle cell disease, um, oftentimes starting from, you know, a few months of age can have these episodes of really serious, um, really severe pain. Um, A lot of times in very young children, it starts in their hands or feet where their hands or feet might swell up and just be intensely painful. You know, the baby's crying unconsolably. You can't touch their hands or feet because that makes them cry. And um, it's very, very uncomfortable. And it's very hard for families, especially with little tiny babies, because the babies can't tell the parents what's going on. So I think that that is very stressful for families to, to, you know, to experience that. Um, As children get older, they may have pain in other locations. And this pain can sometimes be so severe that the children have to be admitted to the hospital for IV pain medicines. Um, just to keep it under control while their body kind of, you know, resolves that, um, that painful episode. Um, other things that are really important symptoms um, for families and, uh, and doctors to look out for. In young children, we worry a lot about their spleen. Um, their spleens can become enlarged and filled with blood, and that can actually become life-threatening. Um, and may require a blood transfusion, sometimes even to take the spleen out. Um, And also children with sickle cell disease are at very high risk of certain bacterial infections that can cause sepsis and can be fatal. So all infants uh, with sickle cell disease are started on penicillin every single day until they're at least five years old to help prevent those infections. But anytime they have a fever, they have to come to the hospital and get evaluated and oftentimes admitted to the hospital as well. 
And then as people get older, there are other symptoms that are um, complications that we're on the lookout for. People with sickle cell disease are at much higher risk of strokes than the average population, and we have some tests that can help figure out which kids are at the highest risk so we can do some preventive treatment. Um, and we monitor kidney function after, as, as they get to be age 10 or so, they need to have their eyes examined every single year because they can develop some serious eye problems. <coughs> so, um, having like a really access to really comprehensive care that's going to take into account all of these really, uh, critical features, both for screening and treatment is really important. Um, in terms of treatment options, um, we have uh, several treatments that have been around for a long time, and then there are newer treatments that are just starting to become available that are pretty exciting, but we don't have a ton of information about them yet. So the existing treatments, our mainstay of treatment for the past decade or so has been um, a medication called hydroxyurea. This is a daily oral medication that babies with sickle cell disease can start taking at age nine months, and it helps to keep that blood cell in the round shape like it's supposed to have and helps keep the blood cell from turning into that C or sickle shape that's going to get blocked up in the blood vessels. Um, our other main treatment that we've had around for a long time is um, giving blood transfusions. And so sometimes we'll give a blood transfusion just, you know, for one time because the patient is really anemic or has a very low blood count. And that can happen with any of the, you know, times that they're admitted to the hospital or so on. Um, um, but some children have enough symptoms and um, that they really need to be on blood transfusions every single month to help prevent um, further complications of their sickle cell disease. And so um, that's a, you know, deciding which of these treatments is right for a particular child it requires a lot of expertise and experience. And um, <clears throat> we really, in a lot of conversation with the family about which treatment is right for them um, and their child. And we really um, strive to provide that individualized level of care um, at children's where to where we can, you know, have really um, identified the best treatment option for each patient. Well, as you've mentioned, St. Louis Children's Hospital, tell us just a little bit more about the sickle cell disease program there and what support opportunities are available for patients and their families. Yeah, thank you for asking about that. So uh, we are the we have the largest sickle cell disease program in the region. Um, we take care of almost 400 children and young adults with sickle cell disease at our center. And um, in terms of um, you know what sort of treatment options we offer, as I mentioned, we um, are we are very um, very proactive with early use of hydroxyurea in infants. And, you know, if a child isn't responding to that therapy as well as we think that they should, we will he not hesitate to talk about other treatment options like blood transfusions or, um, <clears throat> or other potential options as well. Um, we are implementing some of the newer medicines um, that have just recently been approved by the FDA for sickle cell disease. 
Um, so we are uh, starting to use those in our in our patients as well and developing um, expertise with those. These are medicines that were just approved within the past six months, so they're very new to us. Um, and then we also have a very um, strong relationship with our bone marrow transplant team at St. Louis Children's Hospital. And um, currently, bone marrow transplant is the only um, cure that's available for sickle cell disease. We um, meet with the transplant team every month to uh, discuss patients who might be eligible for this treatment. And, you know, it's not something that we can offer to every patient immediately because it does have significant risks and there are a lot of um, a lot of um, sort of factors that go into deciding who should be considered for a bone marrow transplant and who should not. But one of our most important principles in our program is that every patient and every family deserves access to information about their treatment options. You know, even if the medical team thinks that a transplant is not right for a particular child at, a, at this particular time, we're still going to discuss that situation with the patient and their parents so that they um, know that this is a treatment option. You know, here's why we think this is or isn't the best thing for you right now. And of course, you know, we're open, you know, we'll rediscuss it as, you know, as either the child situation changes or the transplant options change as well. So in terms of um, support, I think one of the most important things that we do at our, in, our, uh, in the sickle cell disease program at St. Louis Children's Hospital is that we do spend a lot of time with families, educating them and discussing with them about their, you know, their child's condition, their treatment options, and, um, and um, making um, collaborative decisions with the patients um, and their families. In terms of other support that's available for our patients, um, so we have a full-time <clears throat> education liaison who works with our team. She is um, someone who has an extensive background in special education and um, case management within school systems. And so she is able to help kids with sickle cell disease make sure that they are getting the most um, appropriate uh, educational accommodations that they need to for their condition. Um, we find that a lot of times uh, because children with sickle cell disease mostly look pretty normal, um, their educational needs may not be recognized by the school system. And so she is a really strong advocate for patients and families to help them get um, the appropriate school accommodations that will benefit them the most. Um, and we also have a social worker who is um, uh, dedicated to our team as well. Um, and in addition to providing kind of individual level assistance, she also runs a support group once a month um, for patients or for the caregivers and parents of children with sickle cell disease, just to help um, help them, you know, kind of uh, get support from each other and um, and figure out, you know, I guess, uh, learn from each other about how to navigate this uh, complicated disease with their child. Uh, we do have also community links um, with other, with some outside organizations that have other support mechanisms available for patients and families too. So as we wrap up, and what an interesting topic and really great information for parents to hear 
Speak a little bit about genetic counseling for couples with one child with the disease that may want to have another and wrap it up with information about people with sickle cell disease and can they live a long and productive life? Yeah. So people with sickle cell disease, um, you know, can do all of the things that we expect for children to do. They can go to school, they can graduate, they can get a job, they can go to college if they want, they can have a family if they want. Um, It is, you know, it's a condition that does require every single day management. So um, all of those achievements are doable with some extra help and support you know, from the parents, from, you know, and and with the medical team as a backup to what the parents are doing at home every single day. Um, So, uh, you know, so another, another important thing to, to keep in mind is that uh, the survival of people with sickle cell disease has improved over, you know, the past few decades. Um, And now there are many more treatments available up until about 15 years ago, there was one treatment available, and now we have four or five that are approved by the FDA and newer treatments that are being investigated, um, you know, through clinical trials um, to try to expand the, the benefits um, of these treatments for, for people with sickle cell disease. So I expect that as we move forward, um, the children that we're seeing now are going to live very different lives than the children, you know, that we would have seen 20 years ago with sickle cell disease. Um, and then, of course, the possibility of bone marrow transplant and other, uh, other therapies that may be a cure in the future, you know, that are also being studied in clinical, uh, clinical studies. Um, <clears throat> in terms of genetic counseling, um, it, so uh, if two parents each have sickle cell trait um, or one has sickle cell trait and the other one has another abnormal hemoglobin trait, then each pregnancy that they have would have a 25% chance of having sickle cell disease. So, um, and it's like each pregnancy is like a coin flip. So, you know, it's random whether, you know, whether one, each, each one would have, you know, would have the, the disease or not. Um, and we do provide genetic counseling for all of the families that come into our clinic um, with their children um, newly diagnosed. And we also see a lot of um, babies uh, or older children with sickle cell trait who are there for a one-time counseling visit. Um, and genetic counseling is always a very important part of that conversation as well. And in fact, if the parents um, of a child with sickle cell disease or trait themselves do not know whether they have sickle cell disease or trait, we uh, have a mechanism. We will either, you know, write a prescription for them to get um, their own blood work tested, and if they don't have insurance, we have a mechanism to pay for that as well. Because information is power, and the most important thing that we can do for families is give them good information so that they can make their own decisions about um, about their future family. Absolutely great information. Thank you so much, Dr. Hulbert, for coming on today and sharing your incredible expertise for information on the Sickle Cell Disease Program at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Please check out the disease page on the website at stlouischildrens.org. 
That concludes another episode of Mom Docs with St. Louis Children's Hospital. For more advice and articles, check out the Mom Docs website at childrensmd.org. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other St. Louis Children's Mom Docs podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.